Corporate sponsorship of the Recon Havoc podcast is provided by Game Day Men's Health in Madison. Men, let's face it. We know you hate going to the doctor, but Game Day Men's Health in Madison isn't your average doctor. They get you in and out quickly with their simple, yet uniquely customized three-step process. Game Day Men's Health offers testosterone replacement therapy, ED, weight loss treatments, HGH peptides, vitamin wellness, and other top-of-the-line services specifically designed to help you be the best husband, father, professional, and man you can be. Your initial consultation and testosterone level test is free. Game Day Men's Health. Visit them online at gamedaymenshealth.com forward slash Huntsville and book an appointment or go by their office at 9238 Madison Boulevard, Suite 1300B in Madison. Game Day Men's Health. Call 256-850-1570. 256-850-1570. When you need to be your best, it's Game Day Men's Health. Recon Havoc. Recon Havoc. News, interviews, and more. We just reek of Huntsville Havoc Hockey. October continues with another Reekin' Havoc podcast. I'm Tim Lambert. It's our longest one so far, but if you like me, the time will be gone before you know it. Our guest in the slot is former defenseman Nolan Kaiser, who is wondering when we get around to him. Well, his time has come, and we'll hear from him in a minute. The Havoc has also named their training camp roster, and we'll run down that list later on, too, as the Reekin' Havoc podcast continues. Recon Havoc Podcast. One of the worst feelings you can have is that of being stranded. Well, BT's towing, tire, and truck repair makes that a thing of the past with 24-7 towing services and roadside assistance in the northern Alabama and southern Tennessee areas. But that's not all. They also offer truck and trailer repair, mobile welding, brake service and repair, new and used tires, and other major and minor repairs. Their name says it all. BT's Towing, Tire, and Truck Repair. For 24-7 response, call 497-8234. That's 497-8234. BT's Towing, Tire, and Truck Repair. Athens Utilities comprises Athens Electric, Athens Gas, and Athens Water Services. Together, we are committed to providing reliable and affordable electricity, natural gas, and water and wastewater services. We operate as part of the city of Athens, and just like our city's motto of Athens is classic, southern, character, we believe in supporting what makes our community special. Call 233-8750, come by our office at 508 South Jefferson Street, or look for the link online at AthensAL.us. Want to howl with the havoc this season? Now's your chance from Applebee's Tailgate Talk and the Reekin' Havoc podcast. Just go to wreakinghavoc.com and click on Howl with the Havoc to register and listen to Tailgate Talk on Saturday mornings as we announce the winners of Huntsville Havoc tickets. Howl with the Havoc this season from the Huntsville Havoc, Tailgate Talk, and the Reekin' Havoc podcast. Let's go in the slot. This week we feature former defenseman Nolan Kaiser, two-time SPHL first all-star team member who also scored most points by a defenseman in the SPHL three years ago. I caught up with him earlier this week. Let's just start it out like I start out with everybody. Uh, Give us the, the Nolan Kaiser story. My story, I guess, uh, I'm uh, from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. I uh, grew up there um, playing hockey since I was skating since I was five, playing hockey um, from there on until I was 30 years old. Um, played uh, 
quadrant hockey kind of when I started getting more serious and uh, midget A and going into well Bantam and midget. And then I ended up going to uh, um, Camrose for a camp. I was drafted by Kamloops in the WHL. So I'd gone to their camp the year before. And then when I was 16, I went to uh, Camrose and I uh, wasn't planning on staying there or anything. I had plans to go home and play midget AAA. And uh, after the black and white game in Camrose, I was going to go and uh, to Kamloops where I was drafted and go to camp there and then go back and play AAA. But after, uh, after the, the last main camp, uh, game that we played in Camrose, I decided to stay there and try and make the team. Um, I skipped out on going to camp uh, in the dub. And then I ended up making the team and I was there for a couple weeks after my parents had left. And um, that was pretty cool. Uh, so ended up going from Camrose. I played there from 16 to 18. And then I, knew, uh, I got recruited to go to college in uh, Alaska Fairbanks. That was NCAA uh, Division One. We were in the same conference as UAH actually for a couple of years there. So oh. um, that's kind of where everything all ties together. How I became a Havoc player is uh, my senior year. We were down here and we were practicing after the Havoc, and we were watching them practice before us. And any of the seniors want to come down after the season, uh, just give me a call. You're more than welcome. And there was one guy that took him up on that, uh, Justin Tateson. And so the next season, uh, ended up going to camp in Colorado. I got released and then Tater called me and I'd been talking to Glenn that summer too, but Hey man, come on down. You're going to love it. And, uh, yeah, so that was really how I got down to, uh, Huntsville. Um, Tateson was one of the main reasons, obviously Glenn was recruiting me and I was signed here too, but, um, yeah, it was, it was cool. I got to play with Tater for a couple of years and then obviously, I played, Stu was the only returning player that my first year. And then uh, Tater and I and Stu were returning the next year and then kind of snowballed from there. Um, so that's that's it. I played seven years for the Havoc and called her quits two years ago there. So that's uh, as good of a story as I can tell anyway <laughs> from when I started. Sorry to ramble on there. Well, that's okay. I had all these questions, you know, but... Uh, uh, so oh. we're done. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, thanks for calling. Um, well, you said you you started skating when you were five. Uh, you were kind of old compared to some of the other guys I've talked to. They're they're like, you know, I started skating about three years old. So. Yeah, I I think I was five anyway. Um, it just and that wasn't. I don't think that I was playing when I was five. I started skating when I was five. Um, and so, yeah, maybe I'm not sure. I obviously didn't have the choice of saying, Hey, I'm going to start playing hockey now. Where's my skates kind of thing. So my parents would have set me up at that age, I guess. And yeah, it ended up working out pretty good. I did skating lessons and stuff like that. And I'm not sure if that year I was in actual hockey or not, if, or if it was the year after or not. Well, was hockey the only sport you played or did you, did you play anything else growing up? Growing up, I I played uh, baseball pretty seriously as well um, until I was 15, and then I had to uh, kind of decide between I was 
playing travel ball and doing summer hockey and I think it just got a little bit too much. So I had to choose between baseball and hockey and I, I never really, there wasn't much baseball going on in the winter and not many professionals that I knew anyway that were going to play baseball unless you moved down South. So I took a, I, I was, I think I was a better hockey player than baseball player, but I think I could have been relatively successful in baseball as well. So, and then I grew up golfing and doing all the sports in junior high. I, I was pretty good at badminton and anything really with like hand-eye coordination. I, I really excelled at. Um, and yeah, just I kind of played all the sports growing up, but hockey and baseball um, were definitely the two most serious ones. Okay. What position did you play uh, in baseball? When I was younger, um, I played shortstop and pitcher. And then uh, my last year, um, I ended up being a all-star left fielder, and I caught and played third as well. So, and pitched a little bit. About halfway through the year, they realized I could pitch too. So, I played Double A um, ball my last year for Babe Ruth in Calgary, and then had to call it quits. So, yeah, 15 years old. That was my last year there. I was the youngest kid in the league that year, and I, I was hoping to play again the next year and make the triple a team but decided to call it okay all right i was going to ask you how you were when you stopped playing baseball as far as hockey goes have you always played the same position when i was when i was young up until Pewee, i think Pewee is 10 to 12 i ended up i was forward my whole life and then i went back and played defense the one year we were kind of struggling on d there a little bit and i I played goalie a little bit too when I was younger. I was I was a decent goalie. I was I was good at like catching and stuff like that. So, um, but uh, I moved got moved back to D, and then it just kind of became a thing where um, growing up, right-handed defensemen were always kind of at a you were always a premium if you if you had right-hand defensemen. So that was kind of where I was lucky there because I shot right. So um, just having I guess the sense at the time when I was younger just the forward instincts a little bit. Not that I was that developed when I was 12 years old, but I think the instincts definitely help when you get moved back D you kind of know where to, where the puck's going and kind of think ahead a little bit. So, um, from there on I played D, um, and then every once in a while, maybe around Christmas time, I'd strap the pads back on even here at the havoc and just go and tool around a little bit too. But, um, yeah, defense from 12 on until I was my last year. So, okay. Who were your, your sports influences or, or heroes growing up, whether it was hockey or not? Yeah. Um, when I was young, like my favorite hockey players, it's really, I don't know why, but I love goalies. Um, Dominic Hasek was my favorite player for a long time. Um, Paul Korea and Timu Solani, I had a, uh, Mighty Ducks jersey that, um, I got for Christmas one year and it was said to Nolan from, uh, uh, Timu Solani and Paul Korea. And I thought that was the coolest thing in the world, but obviously that was my mom doing, uh, just, just playing, playing, um, the mom role there. And, um, baseball, I, I really liked the hitters. I liked Sammy Sosa and, Barry Bonds growing up. Um, so 
those two guys and golf, obviously Tiger growing up, Tiger Woods all the way. So, um, yeah, Dominic Hasek, Jerome McGinley, um, those were probably my two favorite players growing up there. And then the rookie year that Dion Phaneuf came in and played for the Flames, he was, I loved Phaneuf that year too. So, yeah, all time, I guess Hasek would probably be my all time favorite player. Okay. You mentioned Sammy Sosa and Barry Bonds. What, what's your take on all that stuff? <laughs> Steroid era? Yeah. I, I mean, it was within, they were, they were doing what they, I mean, I think it was just getting an advantage where they were and they wouldn't be anyone if, I mean, they can still hit the ball. You still need to be able to play. Like, I think it was good for the game. And I mean, obviously not performance enhancing drugs, but the entertainment factor looking back at it now was through the roof. These guys were just mashing balls all over the place. And um, I just, I, Grown up, that seeing that it was just so cool, and then obviously later on coming out that these guys were all taking steroids, and it's—I I mean, it doesn't change my view on them. So, whatever you can do to get an advantage until you get caught, I guess, is uh, <laughs> is, is 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 fair to me. Yeah. Well, so so what was what was young Nolan like? Um, just I played a lot of sports, always playing outside. Um, grew up with a neighbor that was pretty close to me and we, uh, his name is Evan Baco and we played outside all the time together and, um, didn't matter what it was. We played basketball one-on-one, we played football one-on-one backyard baseball. So I think that's kind of where like my different skills and different sports came because we were always after school meeting up and doing one-on-one backyard stuff. So, um, just, yeah, I guess. And then. Um, I, I enjoyed video games when I was younger too. um, PlayStation growing up. And then I had Xbox going into college. I played a ton, a ton of video games going like through junior hockey when I was 16 to 18 and looking back, I wish I, I probably would have spent more time focusing on my craft more so, but it was just kind of one of those things that everyone did after practice, go and play a video game. So um, yeah, definitely young me when I was really young, always playing outside and doing that kind of stuff. And then as I got a little bit older into my teens, just video games and playing sports. And I guess that was kind of my, my relaxing time was just going playing, playing video games and then just recuperating and then sports, sports, sports. So, yeah. um, yeah, I was always, I was always a little bit younger. I, I was 16 there was only two 16-year-olds when we played in cameras, uh, Ben Gallagher and I, and then going into college too. I only played three years of junior, so I still had two more years of eligibility, or maybe three. No, two more years of eligibility to play junior hockey, but ended up going to Alaska when I was 18. So some of the freshmen coming in were already three or four years older than me and definitely a lot stronger and, and better better shape to be a college player for sure now were you an only child uh no i've got a younger sister she's two years younger than me she played uh she played uh baseball as well uh softball and then she played a sport called ringette and that's not a very common sport to um know about down south especially and a lot of people outside of canada don't don't really know what it is but it's basically it's very similar to hockey, 
except the puck is a ring and it's probably about, I don't know, um, maybe three times the size of a puck. And then it's got a, obviously it's a ring and it's rubber ring, uh, like soft rubber. And then there's no blade on the stick. So, um, the, it's very similar to hockey five on five. You have to pass it over the blue line though. And then you can't have three, um, people, uh, below the tops of the circles. So she played that and she still plays actually in a women's league back home. So if you ever have the chance, you should look up, uh, the sport ringette. Okay. So it's, it was, it's a really cool sport and she loved doing that and following me around too, because my parents were always traveling with me and, uh, my sister always was there supporting me too. So, um, yeah. Um, and well, you said she followed you around and all the, all the traveling and everything. So it, it's good. She was supporting you and not being, um, resentful. No, she was, she was great and still is. And, um, my mom would always say, okay, you, you got to come to Michaela's game today because she comes to all yours. So mm. you got to come and support her too. So, mm-hmm. I would go and do that, and I always liked running the clock when I went and uh, watched her games. I'd go in the penalty box and run the clock, but or the penalty boxes. So that was just something to do when I like go and watch her games. Well, you you mentioned uh, playing with uh, the Camrose Kodiaks. That's uh, right. Yep. Um, and then went to the University of uh, Alaska in Fairbanks. What was your field of study there? I took. Uh, my first three years, I was a business major, and then my last year, I focused on finance. I had to choose between accounting, marketing, and finance. And I, at the time, like in school, I really didn't grasp accounting very much. And then marketing just didn't really suit me at all. And I really liked diving into, like, in, into numbers and projections and stuff like that. So. Um, the one class I took in school, it was called Student Investment Fund. And uh, I think UAF started off with $100,000, and it's it's grown to a um, couple million dollars now with uh, real money investments. We'd have to put together um, these huge projects, and then you'd propose to purchase um, $25,000 worth of stock in that class. So we were using the Bloomberg machine and stuff like that. And that's kind of where my love for finance really took off. And, um, yeah, so I was a business fi- business major with a concentration in finance. Okay, okay. I tried a yep. semester of accounting in high school, and I was like, mm, no. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, as far as the, the hockey playing there goes, any, any special memories from back then that stick out to you? Um, yeah, for sure. Um, I, I didn't play as much as I would have liked to there and I could probably take the blame for some of that, just not being quite as developed as some of the other guys physically. But, um, one of the memories that definitely stuck out to me, we went on a two week road trip. So whenever we would leave Alaska, we would always leave on Monday night on the red eye and then we'd return on Sunday and we get home at like 10 PM just because the travel is so far. So we'd miss full days a week, uh, full weeks of school. So the one trip we had, um, we were, uh, traveling to Michigan 
and Notre Dame, and we had them back to back. So we went um, and played in Michigan, and we ended up sweeping them. Uh, two games in Michigan, we swept them, and then uh, we went to Notre Dame, and we ended up sweeping them as well. So we uh, took the clean sweep on the road there into the coolest arenas probably in college hockey um they've got to both be probably top five so that was a really cool memory for me um and then i guess my last year we actually ended up getting uh disqualified from uh playoff and tournament contention because of some ruling that was in place that seven years prior there was guys that weren't on track to graduate and then they ended up t- coming down on us our my senior year. So, um, but we started the year off five and zero that year. We beat um, Western Michigan. They were ranked. Um, I ended up scoring the game winner that that game, uh, and I was just starting to get on the power play in my senior year there, and I scored that game. And then we found out that uh, we weren't going to be able to play in the tournament and playoffs, and we ended up kind of going on a slippery slope there but i think we would have if we were really playing for something that year we probably we we might have had a chance finishing in in the top 16 i think we ended up finishing low 20s so um we we could have had a chance if maybe we didn't go fall off there but it, it really was a season that was just kind of playing for us and that was a really weird experience just kind of not having anything to play for except ourselves there that year so yeah, some of these in NCAA rulings just kind of leave me, well, I guess, a lot of folks scratching their heads, you know, especially whenever it's something that applies to so many years before, and then the then the current guys have to pay the price for it. So, yeah, um, yeah, which yeah, it was too bad because the guys seven year prior, I mean, you don't even know who they were or what happened, and I don't know, it it, it sucked for sure. Yeah. Uh, have you met up with any of your former teammates or opponents from your college days on the ice since then? Oh, yeah. Uh, we love getting together, uh, little Nanook uh, uh, reunions. It mostly, it mostly happens um, at weddings. So okay. um, that's uh, a lot of the guys, yeah, in the age group now are getting married and having kids. So the weddings is definitely kind of where we get all brought together. But we still play fantasy football together. I think we've been doing that for, I don't know how many years, probably close to 10 years now. So there's a group of 12 of us that still play, and that's a good way to keep in touch too. It's For some guys, it's literally a $50 <laughs> fee to be in a text group. So, uh, yeah, it's no, it's good, but it keeps us in, in touch with each other, and that's probably the easiest way, but weddings brings us all together we're, we're actually trying to plan a, a trip next summer um so we're that's in the works right now with some of the guys that i graduated with in my class there uh 2014 well what about actually competing uh, against some of these guys um let's see well obviously i mean i was in the same class as tates and we played down here together okay um, and then some of the guys that I played against, um, there was, let's see, there's actually a, a lot of guys that ended up going to the NHL that we played against just because my first two years we were in the CCHA 
and we were playing against teams in like Michigan State. They had like Tory Krug, and um, there was guys on uh, Notre Dame, Anders Lee, and um, that's just the notable names, I guess. Michigan, they had Zach Hyman and Jacob Truba. So uh, we there obviously there's guys that were were far beyond uh, us in Alaska there, but I'm trying to think if there there was definitely guys that. I grew up playing junior against that I played with here in Camrose. Um, Jeremy Barons was one of them. I was a rookie in Camrose, and he was a 20-year-old, and he ended up having something like 30 fights that year in Camrose. It was insane. <laughs> and then my rookie year here, Barons, he was here as well, and he had, he did the same. He had like 30 fights in 56 games, and everyone wanted a piece of him, but he was a really tough guy and loved to fight, so... Um, yeah, I, that was one guy definitely that stood out and, um, there, I would have to go back and look to see at all the players that I, that I played against in college and all that and see kind of if I cross paths again, but I know that it is, uh, there are just no, none, no names are really coming yeah. to mind right now. Yeah. Uh, when I, to, to those of us here in the South, Canada and Alaska kind of seem to be the same. <laughs> yeah. How much of a difference is there? Um well, I guess the difference the big difference between Alaska, Fairbanks, it's it's colder longer there. Um and then the summers in Alaska, you you get all the way up to 24 hours of sunlight and in in the winter when we were there, we'd be going to practice and there was only four hours of sunlight. So you'd be going to practice at 10 o'clock and the sun would just barely be coming up. And then if you have practice and workout and then you're heading to class after that, you're leaving at about one o'clock or so, maybe just before, and the sun's already slowly starting to go down. So um, that was the biggest difference, the darkness for sure. Um, And then I never actually stayed up in uh, Alaska for a summer. I wish I would have. Um, but the summers up there are incredible. I mean, the weather in Calgary is really nice too. It, it gets, it, it'll, it'll get into the nineties in the summer and, um, it, it with in Calgary too, they've got the mountains right there. So Rocky mountain range is there with, um, a lot of different tourist attractions, but I guess not much of a difference, lots of snow and lots of darkness and cold and bundling up that that was the definite similarities for alaska okay. and and canada okay well i guess that's that's what people think of every time i think of alaska i, I think of 30 days of night you know well uh you told us kind of how you made it to huntsville what was the journey like to huntsville i mean you you said glenn called you said you know come on down but uh yeah you know, what happened after that well, so following my senior year, I actually drove home from Fairbanks to Calgary. Uh, that was a 36-hour drive. My buddy Sean and I did that in his Honda Civic. That was a really cool experience. I uh, got to see every form of wildlife you could imagine. Uh, moose, caribou, bison, bear, wolves, everything. It was it was really cool. But um, So I went home, um, and then uh, I was talking with a couple East coast teams and I ended up getting a tryout with Colorado, uh, when they were in the East coast for the Eagles there. And, uh, I went to camp and played a couple exhibition games and I got released and 
I wasn't getting any calls from anyone else. So I, I went down to, I Tater called me the day I got released and said, all right, man, come on. And I was like kind of hesitant because I really wanted to play in the coast. But um, yeah, throughout that summer, Glenn had kept in touch with me and I had signed a contract to, to play here if I didn't make the East Coast anyway. But Glenn was great throughout the summer, just checking in and how's things going. I was training and um, just kind of filled him in on where I was planning on going. And then when I got released, they were open me with welcome or uh, open arms here and um, came down. I don't know exact dates, but it was kind of the middle of camp and I came down and we ended up playing an exhibition game in Columbus um, and then ended up uh, sticking here. And it was just a cool experience, I guess, getting the experience of playing in Colorado and then coming down with a lot of confidence and maybe a little bit of arrogance too, because at the next level, all the guys kind of talk down about the SPHL and all oh, like, you'll, you'll run the show there and stuff like that. And just comments like that, that kind of maybe made me a little overconfident coming down here because I thought, Oh, this is going to be, I didn't know much about the league. Right. So I thought, ah, it's, it's going to be kind of a, I'll be there for a little bit and then I'll be gone. But once the season started, it was, it was definitely a different league nine years ago too, when I was a rookie um or eight nine um there's a lot of tough guys and run and gun kind of got to keep your head up style so um it definitely wasn't easy uh and then i had only normally played about 30 games in college and then the 56 game schedule started to wear on you a little bit too because you're not used to playing all those games and traveling on the bus and overnights and threes and three and threes so um started to wear out at the end of the year there but yeah, that's how I kind of went from um, Alaska to uh, Huntsville. During during the season in Alaska, you're not getting recruited really by um, SBHL teams. It all happens in the summer. So yeah. um, my connection was through Justin Tateson and when we came down and played UAH here. So, um, yeah. You hopped up to the, the ECHL a couple of times uh, while you were yep. down here uh, in uh 2016 to 17 what what's that like playing here and then making a trip up there for a couple of three games mid midway through the season and then and then coming back i mean you don't you don't really get a feel for uh your new teammates before yeah you're on your way back yeah um the the first call up i took i was actually recruited um that there was there was only four d-men there and i was going to be five and i'd be there for the rest of the season. So I decided to pack up and um, leave my girlfriend, Britt, behind. Well, she's my wife now, but girlfriend at the time. And uh, I said, I'm going to go try and see what happens here. So went to Adirondack, and I got there, and there was seven D-men, and there was three on the IR coming back after Christmas. So the writing was kind of on the wall there. Um, I... Uh, I went there and played three games and just said, I knew what was going to happen after Christmas once these guys all came back and they were already practicing that I was probably just going to get cut or released. So we all, we had meetings after my third game and I just asked to be released just because I didn't think that there was a, um, a full season opportunity there for me. So ended up going back to Huntsville and I ended up coming back and doing really well actually when I came back. Um, so that was, that was really good. And then 
the next year I got a call from uh, the same coach there in Adirondack and they were really short on players and I was actually just coming back from a pretty bad injury. I got a concussion and um, I kind of left the team out to dry. Actually, I remember calling Glenn and telling him that, Hey, uh, Adirondack called and they've got four games and five nights. And I just think that it would be good for me to get back in the groove because last time I went up, I, I came back and I was, I, I was playing really good hockey. And um, so I, I called Glenn and he was kind of like, okay. Like I wasn't sure. And I, afterwards after the season next year and they had a coaches meeting and some players and i think that glenn might have been pretty pissed <laughs> off with me and close to trading me because of my decision i left the guys out to dry there they had a three and three and i was leaving to go and play in a four and five after just coming back from injury and maybe it was a stupid decision on my part but i just talked with Britt and we we thought together it would be a really good opportunity for me to get back into it. And I knew that I was coming back after those, after those five days. So I thought that I would go up there and I had a buddy there too, uh, Dylan Olson that I grew up. He actually got me to Camrose. So it was cool to play with him. Um, and then my first day there I got, I flew into New York and um, I, I went to the rink and I was there late and then, it was already like one o'clock and I was leaving the rink and I didn't know, I didn't have a vehicle or anything like that. So I had to order uh, pasta from, I think it was from Domino's and barely got a rest and then went to the rink and within two minutes, the first, the game there, I scored my first ECHL goal. So that was a pretty cool story. So we ended up winning that game and then I ended up getting into three, three out of four games. So that was a pretty cool experience. And came back and yeah I found out later that uh coach wasn't too happy with my decision but especially because he said you know like why would you go if you know you're coming back and I just I don't know it was just a decision that I made and maybe it was kind of out of the blue for some other people that maybe thought that I was going to stick around but um yeah kind of left the boys out dry that weekend and maybe rubbed some guys the wrong way a little bit but yeah that it was my decision anyway. So, so it, it, when something like that happens and you've got teammates, do, do they want to uh, maybe teach you a little lesson whenever you get back out on the ice with them? Um, like when I came back? Yeah. Well, when I came back the second time, I, I wasn't on the power play because the power plays were running pretty good. So, um, I, I kind of had to work my way back a little bit. I obviously was in the lineup, but no, I don't think guys were like, you know, like, what are you doing? Like, what the hell kind of thing They're They understand and everyone wants to move up and see where they can go. And I, I got calls quite often. Um, my second year through my fifth year, probably, um, I would say I probably got half a dozen, 10 calls a year to get called up. But, once I did that second call up there, I, I knew that Huntsville was for me. I just going up to the coast there, I, I was, I was probably going to be an in and out guy, not really playing special teams. Maybe I would get in, uh, on a, uh, bad team that needed special teams guy, but I really didn't, wasn't interested in playing on a bad team that just needed guys to fill in, um, traveling all over and the uncertainty, um, so that's why I stuck around Huntsville and just kind of 
I'd always answer the calls and just tell them that I had a really good situation here and um, Britt was working. So we were kind of set up nice here and um, she had a job and we were living in the apartments together. So okay. it was, there was never any like hard feelings like from guys coming back that were like, like guys, what are you, what are you doing? Like, don't do that again. Kind of thing. You know, that's never like that. Yeah. So yeah. Everyone wants the best for everyone else. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. what'd you find out was the main difference between the, the leagues there, the, the SPHL and ECHL? Uh, definitely the size, um, guys up there. There's some guys that are on NHL contracts that are in that league. The size is, is the biggest thing. Um, everyone, I, I would say the top end guys in our league are probably, they could maybe fit in a top six role in, in the East coast, but the top end guys in the East coast are far superior to the top end guys in our league. Okay. So the size, all the D man, there are huge. It's pretty, it's pretty fascinating actually going and playing. It's like, wow, this is, it, it, it was a, just a little crisper and guys are snapping the puck around a little better, a little bit of, a little bit better sense. Um, I think the goaltending is very, very close. Um, you see some of our goalies that have gone up the last couple of years, it's tight. It's a really tight market for goalies. Like last year, Robo got called up to the coast and went and played in the A. There's been goalies like Jake Toit from Macon, and he got released from a team in our league, and then he ended up playing AHL games. So it's just it. It kind of all depends on where the cookie crumbles and the opportunity. But I think that as a player, the high end high end players on the coast are definitely far superior to the guys that are the top-end guys in our league. Yeah. When you were playing here in Huntsville, uh, what team did you enjoy beating the most? Um, Birmingham. Okay. For whatever reason. For whatever reason. I, I, I really played well in Birmingham. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a big stats guy, and I know that I had to have been pretty close in my career to a point per game and – in Birmingham's arena. It just, I don't know what it was about Pelham. It was just, I, it was maybe a short trip and I just couldn't sleep the whole way there. I guess when I was, when I was in my first couple of years playing for the havoc, we, we were on the sleeper bus and, oh man, I, you, I would get in those bunks and just sleep the whole way there and just so groggy when I was playing. And, um, as I kind of got older, I realized that was terrible, but <laughs> Um, I really liked, yeah, Birmingham. I liked playing in Birmingham. The short trip was nice. Um, uh, let's see. Um, I mean, obviously Evansville and Mississippi, they had really nice arenas, just too bad. Actually, there was one game. They just didn't get the fans, but there was one game in Mississippi where it was the, uh, um, um, kids, kids game. So it was actually full and it was a 10 a.m. game and it was a bunch of, field trips at the rink, but Knoxville was always a cool team, cool place to play, really small rink. Um, you could kind of shoot from anywhere, and I was always a shooter when I played. So um, I would say, yeah, it, all in all, I would say maybe Knoxville and um, uh, Birmingham. Uh, Macon wasn't really a memorable place to play, but their post-game meals were the best out of anyone <laughs> They they had a, a booster club that lined up and 
they cooked like all the bar food kind of thing. And after the game, you had grilled cheese and meatballs and just kind of a, a mixture of everything. So that was always one thing that I think every team looks forward to is when they go to Macon and get that post-game meal. Um, and you mentioned booster clubs. Uh, do all the teams have booster clubs? Um, yes, I, I believe there, there is There's okay. definitely not, not a booster club anywhere close to as strong as the Havocs. Um, our booster club has been great. Um, there's been a lot of change over the last couple of years. Um, I remember we used to actually go, there used to be apartment sponsors and, uh, there would be the booster club. You'd have maybe two or three families that would sponsor your uh, apartment and then we'd go shopping with them once a month or whatever. And they'd fill you up. But then after we won back-to-back championships, I think some people were kind of asking questions and well, why do these guys always keep coming back? And they thought it was through the groceries. It was pretty insane um, to think that. But so that year, the next year we had to go to the, we would get a $50 gift card and we'd have to go and turn in our receipt to the booster club. And then they had to turn it into the league to prove that we weren't cheating. So um, yeah, that was, that was pretty crazy, but our booster club is great here and they really care about us and take care of the team. They, they work in the summer at, at the trash pandas games to raise money to, to get stuff, extra stuff for us in the, during the season, whether it's stuff for the coaches or extra parties or whatever. Right. So they're always really taking care of us and going the extra mile to, um, to help the team for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I talked to Tanya and uh, DJ, uh, in one of our earlier episodes, and and I didn't realize that they did that. Uh, I knew some of them worked at the Trash Pandas game, but I didn't know it was actually, you know, as the Havoc Booster Club. Uh, yeah, running. and then yeah, some of the I think the way that they go about that is they end up getting that money and putting it into the fund for the Booster Club for the the Havoc for that season. So they go and grind in the concessions and hand out burgers and hot dogs and drinks and. It's all for the havoc. So there's some really incredible people that do that during the year. Yeah. Uh, were there any opposing players uh, that maybe rubbed you the wrong way when you when you played against each other? Oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> always. Absolutely. Um, notable guys that rubbed me the wrong way. Um, there was a lot. I got into a lot of crap when I played. Um, I always just, I don't know. I, I guess some of the guys on Peoria and Roanoke, they always played a certain way and were really heavy and always in front and giving the extra shots. So some of those guys really um, kind of, I guess you, you could get frustrated pretty easily with those guys. Um, but, jeez, uh, that's a good question. There's so many guys that I could say, but, I could just list off a bunch of names and, um, but yeah, there was not really ever one guy, you know, Yeah, there was never like that one guy that I played against for a lot of years. That was like this guy, you got to get this guy. Maybe, maybe a guy like Brantley Sherwood. I played against him and when he played for Mississippi and, um, and then he played for Roanoke, he was always a scrappy player, but him and I always kind of saw eye to eye and never really got into it with each other. So, or did did you yep. any of those guys end up being a teammate? Um, well, actually, one guy that I had a hatred for when I was in junior, 
uh, actually was the guy that got me here, Justin Tateson. So oh. he, uh, he was also um, committed to Alaska Fairbanks. So he played on a, one of our rival teams in junior, the Drumheller Dragons. And him and I would always go at it. And Tater's a, a lot tougher guy than I am, but I would always chirp him and say I was taking his spot in Alaska and all that. And <laughs> we literally hated each other in junior hockey. And then um, I remember that summer going into our freshman year, getting a message. <laughs> and Tater and I talked about this later, but getting a message. And I, I said to my mom, I was like, you're never going to, uh, believe who just sent me a message on Facebook and it was Justin Bateson saying um, yeah uh, hey like I'm looking forward to being your teammate in Alaska let's put everything behind us and just kind of just see like be friends and all that and I remember talking to him about sending me that message and he kind of sent it and shut his laptop and walked away and was kind of like oh what did I just do did I just give in to my biggest rival kind of thing so <laughs> But him and I, yeah, we were we were best buddies um, in college. Him and I didn't play much at school, um, so we would always do play by play in color. We would rotate when we were watching the games in Alaska, and then whenever the guys went on the road, we would play Xbox Zombies for hours and hours just to waste waste time. So that was, I guess, probably my biggest rival story, and we ended up being teammates. Mm. Pretty good, yeah. We'll be back with more of the Recon Havoc podcast. Men, let's face it. We know you hate going to the doctor, but Game Day Men's Health and Medicine isn't your average doctor. They get you in and out quickly with their simple yet uniquely customized three-step process. Game Day Men's Health offers low T, ED, and weight loss treatment along with HGH, hormone pellet, and testosterone replacement therapy among their services specifically designed to help you be the best husband, father, professional, and man that you can be without synthetic hormones. And your initial consultation and testosterone level test is free. Game Day Men's Health. Visit them online at gamedaymenshealth.com forward slash Huntsville and book an appointment or go by their office at 9238 Madison Boulevard, Suite 1300B in Madison. Game Day Men's Health. Call 256-850-1570. 256-850-1570. When you need to be your best, it's Game Day Men's Health. Got something to say? Put it on a t-shirt or hoodie or apron or even an iPhone case. Just go to DaddyO'sCustomTees.com and make it happen. Look through their selection of ready-made designs or make one of your own. Check out their special hockey designs, too. With DaddyO's Custom Tees, you can truly have it your way. Look for DaddyO's Custom Tees on Facebook, follow them on Twitter or Instagram, or go online to DaddyO'sCustomTees.com. That's D-A-D-D-Y-O-S, custom, T-E-E-S, dot com. Daddy-O's Custom Tees, they've got your back, or front. Hi everybody, this is Jesse Kalki, and you're listening to the Reekin' Havoc Podcast. Okay, I've got, got a few fan questions here I need to get to. Okay. Uh, Jason Lopez told us this story from his perspective, but can you take us through yep. the tooth injury? Yeah, uh, there was a couple. So oh, okay. I, I'm assuming that he's talking about my last one. Um, the last what? season there, it was really early in the year. We were uh, we were on the penalty kill, and the puck kind of went low to high and uh, east to west, and then the D-man was going to shoot, 
And so that was a good opportunity for me to kind of front the shot, which means like I'm getting in front of their player that's standing in front to try and block it. And Reggie also had the same idea and the puck went off his skate and hit me in the face. There was no time to react. And I kind of immediately went down um, after seeing the video, the puck hit me in the face and then bounced all the way out to the red line. So next time you ever pick up a hockey puck, imagine that thing hitting you in the top lip oh. and kind of going about, I don't know, uh, 90 feet or so. So anyways, the, the first, the first instinct I could, I could taste it right away. Like it, it was that kind of the blood taste in your mouth and both my front teeth were pushed all the way back in my, in the top of my mouth. And it was, it was really frustrating for me because I had had shoulder surgery a couple years prior and then I got run into by a teammate in practice from behind and ended up like uh, breaking my nose and had to get nose surgery, had to get my teeth wired together. So there had been a lot of surgeries, a lot of kind of, pretty bad injuries that had happened to me. So I was really frustrated. I right away I was pissed off because I knew it was bad. And so we went, went back to the, the room there and in, in the back where JLo would always set up and, um, kind of looked at me and I was obviously bleeding really bad, but I could feel my teeth in the back of my mouth. So I knew that I'd probably lost them. Um, it happened once where I actually got the one wired back together. So I was kind of hopeful that that would be able to happen, but um, ended up having to get a tooth pulled at the rink there, the one that was really bad. And uh, the doctor there, our normal dentist wasn't there. So we had a guy come in and it was a really weird experience. Obviously I'd, I'd never been under the gun like that from a dentist just getting fixed up. But um he was kind of really weird with uh, Doc Mark Markashevsky there and J Lo kind of bossed them around like what's going on here and I'm I'm so and so he's like what no what what's your name I'm uh, it's Nolan don't worry Nolan we're gonna get you fixed up and he probably asked me that three times and it was really weird but so then he gave me the countdown three two and then he went and just went ahead and pulled my tooth on two <laughs> and so. And then that's kind of when Doc Mark came in there. And before that, I, I once it kind of slowed the bleeding a little bit, I went and looked in the mirror and it was, it was honestly the worst thing I'd ever seen. Like I had seen some bad injuries and the one on my, on myself was the worst I'd ever seen. So I didn't want anyone coming into the room or even uh, Britt. I didn't want her coming to see me at that time. So um, ended up getting stitched up at the rink by Doc Mark. Um, he did an unbelievable job. Um, people would, I show people the picture and they kind of have to look at me again and say, wow, that he did that. And it wasn't like plastic surgery or anything like that. He, he did what he could with what he had and did an incredible job. And Jayla was obviously there the whole time for me. And Jayla and I spent a lot of time together, unfortunately. So, um, <laughs> Uh, recovering from shoulder surgery, like you talked about in the last episode with Foxy there. Sharky and I had shoulder surgery, and then I ended up getting a, a deviated septum, and I had to get nose surgery. And um, and then, yeah, obviously, my mouth surgery my last year, a couple concussions, and 
And then I broke my hand at the end of the end of my last year too. So that's kind of what did me in for sure. The injuries, that's kind of why I had to call it quits. So a lot of my family members, my mom and Britt, they were probably the most upset that I was done because that, that was their weekends is watching me play. So, um, but yeah, that's, that was, that was the story anyway about the tooth and JLO. So pretty, pretty good one. Well, they actually wanted me to ask you to rank your injuries, you know, maybe from worse to not so bad, but, uh, yeah. there may be no, I don't know if there's any way for you to do that. Uh, I would say the mouth, the one, my last one was the worst getting the puck in the mouth, losing my teeth, having no tooth for a while was kind of, I'd gone my whole life without losing a tooth. And then I finally lost one. It was kind of cool to not have a tooth for a little while, but then getting it replaced and seeing my new tooth, it just took a lot of time to get used to because every day you brush your teeth and you see your teeth and then you got a different one in your mouth and you're like, Oh, I don't like that. But <laughs> that was, that was definitely the worst one. How? I was out for like two months on that one. Okay. Um, and then the nose surgery one, actually that's another story about JLo. He had never reset a broken nose before. And he, we were in the room and he said, well, would you mind if I tried to reset it? I've never done it before and you're going to have to get it done anyway. And I said, sure. So <laughs> laid down and JLo tried to reset it as good as he could. And he did, he did a pretty good job, but I had to go under for that surgery. So my last three years, I ended up having to go under for, uh, four surgeries. So that wasn't, that wasn't fun. And then going on the pain meds and stuff like that. So the mouth, the nose were really bad. Um, my shoulder surgery after the nerve block wore off was really bad. Couldn't really do much and was in a sling for two months. Um, and then concussions were really bad too. The one I had was I didn't recover very well. It was probably a month and a half and finally I was getting back to it. And then that's when I took my call up to Adirondack, which maybe wasn't the right move, but yeah, that's in the past anyway now. So I guess the mouth, the nose, shoulder, and then just my concussions, my, my broken hand, my, my last broken hand there. Um, I actually got a surgery done at the hospital that was kind of the Guinea pig. They ended up doing like a boxer's surgery on me instead of plates or pins because I wanted to play. Um, and I knew that it was my last year. So they ended up just putting a screw in my hand. And I was back within three weeks playing in the playoffs. So that was, uh, we'll put that one at number five just because of the recovery time, I guess. So yeah, it was, it just ended up taking over my injuries. Just that was, that was the worst part of, of playing was recovering from that. And it was just hard on me and hard on Brit for having to look after me. So, so a fan wants to know about uh, developing your slap shot since it was kind of your, your signature thing. Yeah. Um, I always had a really good shot growing up. Um, I like my shot was always my kind of kryptonite. I'm not sure. I, I don't know what it was. I think I, I, when I was younger, I used a really, really stiff stick. Like we were still using wood sticks back in the day too. So when I was like 13, 14 years, years old I was using a 100 flex wood stick when I probably should have been using like a 75 flex so the lower you go down in the numbers like 100 to 70 75 is going to be a lot more flexible than 100 so I think just learning how to shoot with sticks like that 
Uh, my uncle Les worked for the Flames as well, so I always got the hand-me-down broken sticks from the Flames. Those were always really high flex. So um, just learning how to shoot with those, I think, is probably where I got it. And I always was just good at hitting the ball, like in baseball and golf. And I don't know, it's just the torque that I have or what, but um, yeah, so... That's kind of I, I don't I don't really know how you develop a slap shot. I think it just takes practice and just knowing that for me, always getting it off and having, especially on like my one timers, having the hand eye coordination where I kind of knew I could kind of like even without having to like necessarily like watch the puck. If someone was passing it to me, I could kind of like see where the guy was in front of me out of the, my peripherals. And being able to shoot like that and get shots through was my biggest, uh, the thing that I did the best, I think, was getting shots through. So, okay, I don't, I don't know exactly the answer, but I, my slap shot was definitely my kryptonite for sure. Yeah, um, and I guess not only the the form, but maybe getting used to the feel of the flexibility of the stick that you yep. that you like. Yeah, and yeah, too. Like I went from going 100 flex all the way through through junior college my first year pro and then when I went to uh, Adirondack the first time I got there and they didn't have any 100 flex sticks in my in my curve so I ended up having to use an 85 so it was it was a pretty big bump down 85 to 100 is there's a lot of flex difference in those and I remember shooting with those and I was just like oh my gosh like what have I been doing because I when I went up there, my shot was just the wrist shot, less effort, slap shot. You didn't have to lean on it as much, just less effort. So I ended up going to a 85 flex the rest of my career. And um, just being able to use the flex, I think, is probably where I excelled the most is the flex and just like whipping the puck, I guess, rather than kind of really putting a lot of effort into it. Just letting the stick do the work, just like, just like in golf and baseball hitting it on the sweet spot is 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 where it's going to generate the most speed, I guess. So that's where I was good at. Okay, another fan question. Since you suggested a couple of those injury-related questions for Justin Fox last week, yeah, what, what what's the best story you can tell about J- Justin Fox? I thought those were anonymous. <laughs> you just gave it away that Did I? I was asking questions to Justin well, last week. Oh, okay. Well, he knew it was an inside job, so yeah. he just didn't know yeah, who it he was. he knew it. No, you're good. Um, so I guess one of the things about Justin, like he said, he was really good in the locker room. But um, one of my favorite stories, well, when he came back, and it was true, like he, he kind of got Stu out of the house and we would always go and do stuff because they were best buddies growing up and old oh, in pro anyway they went to australia together rookies together and then foxy came back and it was like we would go into Stu's apartment and we would peel Stu off the couch and say we're going out to do something so there was uh there was deal in in huntsville maybe four or five years ago anyways but when we played it was penny pints at uh jefferson street so we would go for 50 cent wings and penny pints and have enough beers for uh, the, the number doesn't matter, but uh, it was, it was <laughs> Stu Foxy, my wife and I, and it was Brit and I would play cornhole against Foxy and Stu and we just blow them out of the water. 
every week and Stu would always get pissed off at Foxy because he was dragging the piano and not not shooting well against Britt because Britt was running the table with him. But um, one of my favorites was when we um, lost in game two of the playoffs in our in the finals uh, in 2017. Um, we lost and Foxy went in the room <laughs> and he broke his stick because he had already had plans to go and celebrate in Huntsville when we won the championship after game two. And I'm not bringing my bus stuff. We're winning tonight. And uh, he ended up throwing a, a tantrum. And I remember Glenn came in. <laughs> oh, my God. And he just basically just teed off on him. And Foxy just kind of put his tail between his legs and was just that was that was one of the highlights for sure. And then obviously that starting lineup thing, when uh, Zach Nieminen, he was a rookie, got the call over Foxy, and the, the room just went insane. And Foxy was so upset on a Saturday night that he wasn't getting the start. So no, there was a lot of Foxy was a great teammate for sure, and he still had a lot of jam when he played and. He was a huge acquisition for us and probably one of the main reasons, not the main reason, but a big reason why we ended up winning that year. Um, and the stats don't lie. I, I was trying to pull them up. Foxy mentioned the stat about Stu when before and after him. And I remember I remember going back and going game by game and with Foxy and without Foxy. And it was actually really insane how much of an impact just – the difference was when he came back, I don't know what the correlation was, but maybe Stu was just having a little more fun and being more relaxed. And he, uh, he ended up, it was, it was night and day. So that was his biggest thing was being a good room guy and someone everyone can make fun of. And he took it really well. Obviously you can tell by his interview there. He's, he's a good, he, he, he'll give it back to you when you give it to him. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of took it that he was kind of an easy target for uh, for sure for stuff. <laughs> Just the way he talks, and yeah, 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 he, yeah, for sure. Someone also wanted me to ask you about the free Kaiser event. Oh, geez, uh, yeah. So uh, the free Kaiser thing, uh, I ended up getting uh, eight games suspension um, in Roanoke there. Um, so, um, it was deemed that by the league that I intentionally, um, took down a ref after a fight. Uh, so I ended up getting suspended eight games for that. It was, I think it ended up being, uh, uh, a ref that was kind of filling in cause they were short on guys and I was in a fight and, uh, at the end of the game and, the ref ended up grabbing my arm and kind of put me in like arm bar a little bit. And I was trying to yank it out because their guy had always already gone off and pumping up the crowd. And I was trying to kind of get away and maybe even go after him again. And, um, so, uh, he ended up, we ended up getting crossed up and I ended up falling on top of him and he wouldn't let go. And on top of him, I said, I was asking like, are you let go? And, are you done? I was like, yes. And then he finally let go. And then I got up and kind of got off the ice. And it, I guess that it was, um, uh, consensus that I was, I intentionally, uh, took the ref down 
got an eight game suspension originally it was like classified as a class three or a class one one of the other extremes and so that's an automatic 25 game suspension so they ended up changing it to an eight game suspension but you're taking the word of a guy that i don't know maybe shouldn't have been refing but that 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 doesn't matter anyway so they ended up making uh free kaiser shirts because i was coming out of basically suspension prison so um they ended up uh making those shirts and then they were they were a big hit and uh all my all my teammates were wearing them there was uh big signs in the arena that said free kaiser and uh that was pretty cool too because um i think we ended up playing one game on the road but my the first game back uh the free kaiser night at uh vbc i ended up scoring and we were playing against roanoke i ended up scoring the first goal of the game so um there's some highlights that kind of show me scoring that there's a slap shot from the point and it was just a big big celebration because it was against roanoke and there was such a buzz around um my name and coming back from suspension at the vbc that it was just a pretty big moment uh that happened there so that was the free kaiser thing um really stupid incident that I got suspended for eight games, but uh, it just kind of, it, it was what it was. There was no change in the, the league's ruling. Um, they weren't there, but they go off a of video that they have and you can only imagine what kind of video that they had. So off of hockey TV, sometimes it's difficult to justify changing a call that was made on the ice, just like in sports, right? But I just kind of had to bite the bullet and sit out eight games and then came back and free Kaiser. That was it. <laughs> okay. Um, when you were part of the back-to-back championship teams in Huntsville, I, I know the, the championships are, are memories in themselves. Are, are there any special things from those days or maybe those series that, that, that went on, uh, either on or off the ice, that, that, that stick out? I mean, yes. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, the first, the first year, uh, we went to Mississippi on, I think it was a Thursday and we were supposed to play, no, we were supposed to play Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. So three game series, we had home ice advantage and that year actually there was the selection round. So first place team got to select their team and then in the playoffs. So we were four and we ended up getting the team that I think it was. Um, I can't remember who finished three that year, but they ended up selecting Pensacola. Or, sorry, they ended up, sele- yes, Knoxville and Pensacola ended up pairing up, and then we got to play Mississippi. And we really struggled against Knoxville that year. And they, we were four and they were five, I think. So we would have naturally paired up with them, but the, they got skipped. We ended up getting to play Mississippi, which we had done really well against. So the selection round ended up helping us where, but then we went to Mississippi. We lost the first game. The second game, we, we were 10, 10 minutes left in the game and we were down, uh, we were losing. And then we ended up coming back and winning in overtime that night. We won game three. And then the second round we played in against Macon in the iceplex. And we lost eight, two, I think the first game. And, Stu always told us this. They were walking out of the arena because it was a pretty tight quarters at the Iceplex, and they were already talking about going to the finals, and 
it pissed you off a little bit. And he was talking about that. So we, we ended up going to Macon the next night and we beat them big. And then we, we won in overtime. But one of the memories from that game three game that we won in overtime was I actually got hit. This was before my shoulder surgery. So I got hit one of my first shifts and my shoulder came out and I, I didn't play the rest of the game until Anthony Calabrese to skate broke. And then Jesse had to throw me in. Jesse Klecki was the D coach at the time. He had to throw me in and uh, at the end of the game and my shoulder was completely done, but it was wrapped up good by JLO. And I ended up scoring the game tying goal with two minutes left to take us to overtime when they had just scored with less than five minutes left. And it looked like it was all said and done, but ended up tying the game. That was one of my most memorable playoff uh, moments. And then we went on to beat Peoria in the finals there. And then the next year um, we, we had a tough round against Pensy second round. We ended up getting paired with Knoxville and I scored the, overtime winner to send us the finals and that was really cool as well and then we knew we knew when we got paired up with Birmingham in the finals that we just it was a good matchup for us and we ended up sweeping them in two games there so back-to-back championships was really cool um if it wasn't for that I, I don't know if I would have played seven years because um after like my third year ish fourth year it was getting close to like me being like, oh, like I was kind of struggling to get through the year and injuries were coming about and then we won and then we won again. So I had to come back obviously after that and then COVID hit. And then, so that ended our year with 10 games left. And then the next year we had a five, five team league and I didn't want to end my career in a five team league. So then obviously there's year four or year five and year six were kind of, a bust and then I had to play my last year out year seven. And then that's kind of where all the injuries came into play. So, yeah, but yeah, definitely those two, those two goals were definitely memorable moments for me in the playoffs. Now you win one series, uh, one championship on the road, you win the next one at home. Would you rather is one better than the other beating them, you know, on, on the, the visitor's ice or, or, or at home? Well, they were both like they both had their I guess memories for sure. We were not supposed to beat Macon and we were not supposed to beat Peoria. When we got when we went into the finals with Peoria, I think we were down something like three one and they were a team that was really stacked and running away with the league. And we ended up coming back and winning something like six five the first night. And, uh, so, and then we came back to Huntsville lost and we went to Peoria and won. So we weren't supposed to win that, that championship. That was my first ever championship too. And then there was a lot of guys like Stu, Foxy, Andy Williger, Keegan Asmundson, like those guys were all done. Like that was their last year and we ended up going out on a high note for them. And so it was really cool because in Peoria, we ended up going out to the bar there and uh we ended up being in there alone and we were playing our own music and on the jukebox and they were just serving us drinks and that was really awesome and then when we came home ashley balch ended up setting up a parade for us so a day or two later we ended up walking in a parade with ambulances and quads and fire trucks and 
a bunch of fans and we got to hang out with them and do that. So that was really cool. But then obviously winning in front of the, the Huntsville um, crowd was, I mean, it was incredible. And the crowd in Huntsville is the best in the league. And with 6,000 people there cheering when we ended up winning and going ahead in that game, it was just it that the atmosphere was definitely one thing that you'll never forget. And then in the room afterwards, it was just, there were so many people in there with the news and anyone and everyone. And just one of the guys that I golf with, he said that he was my uncle and he got in the room and I was like, what the, <laughs> what's going on? He said, he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm Nolan Kaiser's uncle. And they're like, all right, go ahead. He walks in the room and I'm like, what? What are you doing in here? He said, oh, I said I was your uncle. I just wanted to say congratulations. And then he left. And so, it, I mean, there was people in the room that maybe shouldn't have been in there, but it was really cool. And we ended up uh, going and celebrating um, both really a lot. So we, it, was, it, was, it was a great time. There, there was good memories from both, I guess. So. Well, now, now Nolan Kaiser's uncles are going to be coming out of the woodwork. Uh, <laughs> they supported me they were here they came they came and watched for my uncles would come down and watch me so i've got i've got a good family base and my family especially my parents they uh they love coming to huntsville and watching me so they would always bring bring company and uh have a good time with them so but yeah my parents came down quite a bit which was really awesome for me to share a lot of experiences with them and yeah. Well, you decided to stick around Huntsville since your retirement from playing. So in, in case everybody yep. doesn't know, t- tell us what you're doing now. So when I decided to retire, it was a pretty easy decision for me. But um, for my mom and my dad and Britt, for sure, they were upset. But um, I ended up starting to uh, install appliances. Uh, it was the first job that came about for me. Um, I was looking for a house at the time, um, so I took a job just to have something going on during that time, and I was working with uh, Ray Ortiz. We were installing appliances together. He's a Havoc legend, so that was one of the reasons I took the job is because I was going to be working with Ray, and uh, he's doing really well for himself working for a subcontractor through Bob Wallace, so I didn't know anything about installing appliances, but he kind of took me under his wing and we got the job done there. So that was cool. Um, and then I got a call that summer from Keith and, uh, Tom Winkler had got a job coaching in NCAA. So he was doing corporate sales before me and Keith called and asked if I would be interested. And it, it, it was the best thing that could have happened for sure. So I didn't really know much about installing appliances, but I know hockey and I still had a bunch of buddies playing. So, it was, it was a good transition for me anyway, um, not playing my last year there and then being able to be around the team too. So um, that was really cool. So, But, yeah, I'm in my second year of doing corporate sales with the team, just finding sponsors to support the Havoc and just, yeah, all the advertisements in the arena like you see. That's, that's all stuff that Keith and I had worked on the last couple of years anyway from where I started and then – I know Glenn's into it now too. He's kind of helping take over for Keith to move him into a bit of a more retirement role. So, um, yeah, it's a it's a joint um, 
it's a joint, uh, um, act, I guess we're just all working together to bring in as much as we can for the team and support the havoc. So Huntsville community is very generous. Um, well, I, I noticed, uh, well, the team announced their training camp roster. Uh, I saw where the training camp for the, the Norfolk Admirals in the ECHL includes uh, Max Molosic and Brandon Osmondson. Now, Brandon had just signed with the, the Havoc back in August, so I don't know. I guess that could be, might could be confusing to fans as to, to how that works. I mean, I guess the ECHL can come calling just any time. So I think the the East Coast kind of trumps the SPHL, especially for guys when they're coming out of school. They you want to play at the highest level and go as far as as far as you can. Um, so maybe guys sign just like I did, and when I signed with Glenn and the Havoc, and then I got a camp call to Colorado. They got to fill their camps as well, and um, they need players. and And there's guys that in our league that will play in the our league last year and go and play in coast this year full time so um it's a good opportunity especially going to a camp but yeah you can you can sign in in the east coast and also have a an agreement with an sbhl team if you get cut then you they own your rights so that's kind of how that works um so if, if if you some guys um like it's 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 a safety net i guess but if you're really trying to make the East Coast, but if not, and you're kind of a fringe guy and you're not really sure, signing with a team that you want to play for is definitely the way to go. And if you don't, I guess you could choose after you get cut, but everyone's going to be calling on the guys that get released. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of how that works. And I, I hope Milo makes uh, Norfolk. Uh, um, yeah, I'm, I'm rooting for him anyway. He's a, he's a great goalie and a great guy, so... Um, rooting for him for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get to my uh, portion I've uh, called my puck out of play questions. They're just not okay. necessarily okay. hockey related, but I don't know. Sometimes they, they make their way back. But uh, uh, number one, <laughs> number one, let's get your favorite movie, TV show, or maybe what you're streaming right now. Or all three. Uh, you know, it's up to okay. you. Favorite movie, all time. Um, Actually, one of my favorite movies all time is uh, Rookie of the Year. I love that movie. Henry Rowan Gardner. Um, just, I love that movie growing up and watched it a lot. Happy Gilmore is right there too. So, um, those two are probably my top. Um, and then uh, favorite show all time, I guess. I really liked uh, Breaking Bad. I really liked Dexter. Um, just. Just the shows that you could kind of never really fathom doing yourself, right? Like um, Breaking Bad, the selling math, and Dexter's killing pe- killing bad guys, and um, I I really enjoyed those shows. Um, one current show that I've just started, um, and Britt and I probably should have started a long time ago because we ended up getting married in Montana. Um, is Yellowstone. So we're two. We're only two episodes in to Yellowstone, and it's a pretty crazy start. But um, while we we're actually there in Montana, in Missoula, getting married, um, the the crew for Yellowstone was actually shooting at the uh, town hall there. So that was pretty pretty cool, especially for my sister because she had been religiously watching the show. Her and her now husband. So 
yeah, that was pretty cool for them. And now it's cool for us too, that we started the show. Yeah, that seems to be a, a popular answer uh, when I ask folks that. I'm, and that's one I have not started watching. I've got several that are on my list, but uh, hadn't gotten around to that one yet. Um, the thing about that is uh, for the list for me, like there's so many shows that Britt wants to watch, but I love watching sports and like obviously with fantasy football and I have fantasy hockey and I love watching hockey. So I, I mean, there, there's probably a lot of shows that she would like to watch and finish, but I, I just, I'm probably a, a bad streamer anyway. I don't binge watch shows enough with her. I like watching sports though. Yeah. Some of the shows that we watch get kind of dragged out a little bit. Mm-hmm. And in some of those storylines too, in some of the shows that I've watched, there's like, oh man, can we get through this storyline here? It's just taking too long <laughs> to wrap things up. Yeah. Uh, all right. Number two, favorite music genre, band, or artist? Um, music. I'm all over the place. I like country. I like rock. I like rap. It really just depends on the day and what mood I'm in. Um, I'm I I always like Nickelback. They're an Alberta uh, band, and I always like them. Even when it wasn't cool to like Nickelback, it was <laughs> it was really it was one of those things. I always like their songs, and I still do. But yeah, I, I grew up listening to anything and everything. Country music, kind of more so when I started in college. I when I was younger, I used to listen basically just rap and rock. Um, I still like hip hop and rap. Um, so it just depends on the day, I guess, and what mood I'm in. Yeah. Favorite food? Oh, um, I, I like, I mean, a good steak. It's hard to beat a good steak uh, in Huntsville. I mean, Connor's steaks are pretty good. Um, I like I like shepherd's pie. Um, I like seafood. Um, I guess... Number one, I guess, if, if there was, like, one last meal that I had to pick, it'd probably be steak. Okay. Um, yeah, so that I guess that would probably be it. Okay. Uh, well, what's your favorite thing to do in your free time? My free time now uh, consists a lot of yard work. I, I take a lot of pride in uh, my grass and making sure it looks good, and it, it's pretty tight. Uh kind of like when I, I cut it as low as it goes. So it looked kind of like golf course a little bit. <laughs> I like to think that I've got the nicest yard in the block too. So that's kind of something to uh, hang my hat on. But uh, I golf um, pretty religiously. Um, since I came down, I think I was something like maybe like a eight handicap or so. And since I've been down here uh, last year was my best summer. I ended up getting down to being on the other side of zero. So I was a plus 1.2. I think I got to last year. I think I'm back up to a 2.5 right now, but golf is one of the things that I take pretty seriously. And I mean, I, I guess I don't really take it serious. I, I, I'm, I'm good at it, but I also like to go out and enjoy just the camaraderie and hoping that everyone shoots their best round every time. Um, I'm not one of those guys that goes out and it's like, did you, did you win? No, I, I, I just want to have a good time and everyone play their best. And, 
um, yeah, I'm not really super competitive until it comes to playing in tournaments, uh, where I kind of get competitive with golf. So, um, yeah. Did you play in the, the, the golf tournament that they had? The Havoc tournament? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually, uh, we ended up winning it this year at Cherokee Ridge. So a couple of my golf buddies from the Huntsville country club and I ended up winning, uh, with, there was a little bit of junk involved, obviously, with the the licorice and some mulligans and power drives, but I think we ended up shooting 23 or 24 under there as a four-man scramble, so it's pretty good. Oh. All right, one last thing. Um, give us some Nolan Kaiser trivia. I mean, you've talked about so much, uh, and, and you are by far the longest interview that I've had. Um, personal. Sorry about that. But no, that's fine. It's good. Uh, um, uh, I, I was beginning to wonder because uh, Laura, she, uh, I mean, she yeah. was having these long interviews, and I thought, man, I, I just feel like I'm not asking enough stuff. So, <laughs> but uh, I, I needed a good talker. So, and and you've been a good yeah. one. So, uh, yeah, some Nolan Kaiser trivia. Uh, something okay. that maybe that's you know not a lot of folks know. Maybe he's not too embarrassing for you to tell us um kind of spilled everything that i, that I have out <laughs> yeah well that's fine that's fine like i say i just appreciate your time and and uh, it's been a informative and, and fun interview and um we hope to be talking to you sometime down the line here yeah i i appreciate the call too i I saw all my ex teammates getting the getting called, and I was like, "I wonder if they're <laughs> asking me to do the interview." I, I it did. It was. I'm glad you uh, sent an email there and asked. I probably got induced by me sending a, a question in for Foxy there, but um, no, it, I'm glad you called and um, glad I could kind of share my experience growing up and playing hockey, especially with the havoc and what's going on now. So. Um, yeah, I appreciate it anytime. This was fun. All right. Well, again, I appreciate it. Okay. Thank you. Right. That was former Havoc defenseman Nolan Kaiser in the slot this week. Stay with us for more of the Reek and Havoc podcast. Hear the Reek and Havoc podcast wherever you go. On your favorite podcast platform, on your Amazon Echo device by saying, Alexa, play the Reek and Havoc podcast via the PAS Plus app and online at reekandhavoc.com. The Reek and Havoc podcast. Airlines have just reduced their prices even more. Book 30 days in advance and save big. Want the absolute lowest prices on your airline tickets? Then call the low-cost airlines travel hotline right now. For prices so low, we can't publish them anywhere. The only way to access our low rates and save up to 70% is to call. Save hundreds on your vacation tickets by calling right now. You can fly anywhere in the world and pay discount prices on your airline tickets. Book a flight today to London, Paris, Madrid, or anywhere else you want to go. And pay a lot less guaranteed. Call the International Travel Department right now at low-cost airlines. 800-631-1754 800-631-1754 800-631-1754 That's 800-631-1754 
This is Brett Schaefer, the goaltending coach of the Huntsville Havoc, and you're listening to the Reekin Havoc Podcast. The Havoc announced their training camp roster. Camp started on Sunday, and the list includes forwards Jamie Bussell, Jared Christie, Kyle Clark, Carter Calthorpe, Douglas and Philip Elgstam, Robbie Fisher, Jake Fuss, Eric Henderson, Jack Johnich, Cole Reginato, Tucker Scandleberry, and Frank Trezera, defenseman Brendan Dowler, Colin Fitzgerald, Alex Kilcheski, Mason Palmer, Derek Pearl, and Dominic Procopio, and goaltenders Connor McCollum and Brian Wilson. If you missed seeing the team in action this week, on-ice training camp sessions will also be open to the public at the Huntsville Ice Sports Center Sunday from 9 to 10.15 a.m. and Monday through Wednesday from 10.30 a.m. till noon. Single-game tickets are on sale. Group discounts are also available along with family four-packs for specific games. You can also purchase premium seating, including ice suites and luxury suites, and the new party deck. Season tickets are also still on sale. Go to HuntsvilleHavoc.com and check under the Tickets tab. Download the official Huntsville Havoc app for your iOS or Android device or at HavocRewards.com and start winning and earning points today. The Reek and Havoc Podcast. Do you own an annuity, either fixed rate, indexed, or variable? Are you paying high fees and getting low returns? If so, Annuity General would like you to have this free book to learn the pitfalls and mistakes of buying an annuity. The Annuity Do's and Don'ts for Baby Boomers contains the little-known truths about annuities, like how to help reduce your fees and increase retirement income. And it's free. That's right, free. As a bonus, we'll also throw in a free annuity rate report just for calling. We researched over 1,000 annuities and summarized rates and benefits from financially strong insurers. You get annuity do's and don'ts for baby boomers and the annuity rate report, both absolutely free for calling Annuity General today. Hurry, supplies are limited. Call now. 800-731-1467. 800-731-1467. 800-731-1467. That's 800-731-1467. tickets, official Huntsville Havoc merchandise, and more, go to HuntsvilleHavoc.com. Visit our website at ReekinHavoc.com, look for us on Facebook, Instagram, X, and Threads, and listen, follow, and subscribe to the Reekin Havoc podcast on your favorite platform to keep up with the only weekly podcast covering the Huntsville Havoc, the Reekin Havoc podcast.